and good morning. Everybody say good morning to somebody next to you real quick. If you got the vaccine, you can give them a high five. If you don't, just chill out just a little bit. Hey, a lot of good stuff going on. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, a lot of stuff's been going on here at the church. It's good stuff. The room is getting more full. We're still trying to keep every other row as much as possible. But starting Easter, we're going to go back to two services at 9 and 11 a.m. And we'll stay with that till for this foreseeable future. So next week, we'll make some more details about that to kind of so you can help us. There will be some needs needed to help, you know, staff to children's services and ushers and greeters, that kind of thing. But we are going to create some more space for you, 9 and 11 a.m. beginning April 4th, Easter Sunday. Also Easter weekend, we have a good Friday service that Friday night at 6.30 here in the room. So good stuff going on. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter chapter 1 as we continue our 10 qualities series. We walk through uh, six qualities. This is our seventh, I do believe, and we're going to conclude this right before Easter. So what are 10 qualities? There are qualities we believe that if you're going to move from a believer to a disciple, you need in your life. These are qualities that disciples demonstrate. They live out. Um, it's not just values. Values many times are things you, you want, but not things you actually have. Qualities are things you actually carry with you in your life. And, and one of the things with this one is, number seven, is lives morally pure. And so with that, it's not a huge um, popular topic in church world today. You don't hear much on holiness or character or living pure. Most of the things we hear about today is more about how can we connect with culture to reach culture. I believe, regardless of what your philosophy of reaching people is, I believe this, character still matters. Character still matters. And in all honesty, we're in a season where God is exposing everything. Like the whole pandemic was, was literally God exposing the weakened or cracked foundations of the church. Then we see a lot of amazing Christian leaders. God is exposing their sin publicly. Ravi Zacharias, who I've adored since the day I was saved, listened to him on the radio, read every single one of his books. He helped me as a former atheist really have some strength to my faith and my, my trust in Jesus. Watching him now after he's died, going through these flaws of a lack of character. Carl Lentz, a great popular pastor in America who his whole ministry is built on being as cool as the world to reach the world. Then he has multiple affairs with his wife. And one of the problems with that is the world is looking at the church to see if it's worth leaving the world to be part of the kingdom of heaven. And so they're looking at us and there is no difference. Then why would they give up everything they have in the world for a kingdom that shall not be shaken? If when you leave one kingdom to another, if there's nothing different, then why would you transfer your allegiance from one kingdom to the other? We have a whole generation of young people who do not believe in God, not because God is not real, but because they've never seen anybody actually live out their faith. They've seen mommy and daddy maybe go to church, they dress up for Sunday morning, but at home they're doing everything the world does. And so character still matters. It still matters to the world. Governor Cuomo, a Democrat, is going through it because his character has been diminished. So even the world expects character out of people that are speaking or representing or leading. If the world thinks character matters, I promise you it matters to God. Character matters to God. Purity matters to God. Holiness matters to God. Integrity matters to God. Living your faith out matters to God. The pandemic of 2020 for the world was corona, but the pandemic for the church is a lack of holiness. It's a pandemic 
And if we're going to be the disciples that follow after Jesus, our lives should be continually transformed to look like him. We should have more character, more integrity, more transparency, more accountability than the people in the world. If you would stand to your feet and read 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, and a little bit on. It says this. Now, now to give you context, Peter here is talking to a church that's in exile. They're being persecuted. If you ever want to read what it's like to be a Christian in a, in a world or a culture that does not like you, that persecutes you, that makes fun of your beliefs, that tries to kill you, that, that believes completely different than you, First Peter is all Peter's talking about. He's talking about there's, there's three things. He's saying you're in exile. And so when you're a citizen of heaven living in the world, you can't be part of the world. And so Peter's trying to communicate that if you're not from this world, but you're living in it, there's three things you can be. You can be a tourist. So tourists just kind of show up, but they're not part of it. So that would be like the Amish people. They're here, but they ain't really here. You just see them when you get bread or some good furniture. Then you have immigrants. Immigrants are people, they move somewhere. They give up one allegiance to their former country to align with a new country or a new culture. A lot of our churches today, they are immigrants into culture. They don't go to reach culture and come back. They go there, they like it, and they stay. Then you have exiles. Exiles are part of the culture, but they're not in the culture. They're in the world. They're not of the world. They're there. They don't give up their allegiance to their homeland. They don't give up their identity as a citizen of heaven. They're there, like Jeremiah 29. While you're there, seek the welfare of the city. You're going to be there for 70 years. Have babies, build families, build homes, build businesses. But you're doing it all to demonstrate my glory to the place I have you. Here's what he says. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that we brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance or former life. Meaning you are a child of God now. You're not a child of your daddy or your mama. So you need to align your life with your new father, not your old father. But as he who called you holy is holy, you also be holy. Everybody say holy. In your conduct, that means behavior, that means actions, that means your decisions, that means your relationships and how you live your life. One of the deceptions of the enemy in the church today is you can get saved and still act like you did before. In the scripture, he's saying, no, no, you should be holy as God is holy, not just in your Sunday morning, but in all your conduct. You shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges, everybody say judges. judges. We don't talk about that. We skip over those. Impartially, according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear. Everybody say fear. fear. Throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you are ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Like that of a lamb, if I can skip not too many pages. Like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, such your faith and hope are in God. Father, we thank you that your Holy Spirit is not just a power, he's not just a presence. He is the spirit of holiness. 
And we just pray that you release a spirit of holiness in this community of believers, that we can stand in awe and wonder and fear of the amazing price you paid for our souls. That, Father, we can walk in integrity and character as we seek to show the world what it looks like to be a child of the Most High God. Father, we just pray that you open up the heavens, you open up our minds, our hearts, and our spirits for your word today. We lift up all the other churches in this area. We lift up Chad Hess at Woodmont Baptist. And we just pray for the churches that is a city, Father, that all the walls and gates of the city, that each church can take up their gate to keep the enemy out of our city so we can flourish and prosper in the things of God. So Father, we thank you, we bless you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. So 1 Peter is a book I I love to read just because it gives you some context into culture 2,000 years ago. So I would think if if Peter is dealing with churches that are struggling with a government and a culture that's going the opposite way of them, we could probably relate today. Culture is going a completely opposite way of the kingdom of heaven. Our government seems to be going the opposite way of the kingdom of heaven. Celebrities are going the opposite way of the kingdom of heaven. Like they're all going the opposite direction. So how do we maintain our faith and our integrity in the middle of this conflict between two kingdoms? And he talks about throughout 1 Peter this holiness concept. That that you have to be holy and depending on your background, you hear the word holy, some people don't think of good things. They think of legalism. They think of what movies you can't watch, what music you can't listen to, what clothes you can't wear. They think that you have to wear a denim skirt and sketchers. No one should ever wear denim skirt and sketchers. They think of certain regulations and certain this. They think of, of strong judgment. They, they think of all this stuff. But he doesn't mention any of that stuff in the scripture. And so holiness doesn't mean legalism. Holiness doesn't mean a certain standard of of what you wear or how you dress. Holiness means this. It means separating from sin and unto, separating yourself from something, from sin, from the world, and unto God's honor. Meaning if I'm holy, I'm separating myself from the things of the world unto God's honor to say, God, I'm a vessel you can use. I've emptied myself of the world. I'm separating myself from these things so that you can use me for your glory and your honor here on earth. I want you to use my mouth. I want you to use my mind. I want you to use my life. I want you to use my family. It's all for your honor. And that's what holiness means. And you cannot read your Bible without seeing the word holy. Literally right there in the front. It says the holy Bible. Yeah, churches, we don't talk about holiness. When you read the scriptures, over 700 references to holy or holiness. 700. Then you look at the tabernacle or the temple in the Old Testament. Every single thing in the temple had the word holy written on it. Everything. Holy incense, holy labor, holy everything. And you keep on going, everything in heaven has the word holy written over it. Then you look at heaven and the angels are singing what? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. God is a holy God looking to create a holy people to show the world what heaven looks like here on earth. That's literally the gospel. He's looking to make a holy people. Not just a forgiven people. You can be forgiven in the Old Testament. The day of atonement was a day of forgiveness. But it didn't make you holy. It took a perfect sacrifice. It took a 
the blood of not just a lamb, but an unblemished, perfect, sinless, holy Jesus. And only then could we be holy enough to be called God's holy people. And so there's two forms of holiness. One is positional holiness. Everybody say positional. So this is theology for you. Positional holiness means the moment you get saved, when you realize getting saved is not just raising your hand, there's a transformation that takes place that Jesus called being born again, meaning you're dying to your old self and you're getting a new father and you get a new DNA, you get a new nature when you're born again. So when you're born again, you don't carry the nature of your old self. You don't carry your sin nature. You carry the nature of Jesus. Martin Luther called it the great exchange. Jesus gives us his nature, his holiness, his righteousness, his beauty, his standing with the Father, and we give him our junk. We give him our sin, our guilt, our shame, our fears, our anxiety. And I don't know about you, that's a great deal for us. That is a terrible deal for Jesus. Literally, we give him our junk. It's like when people come to counseling. I was with somebody this week. When people come to counseling to the pastor, they really don't want help. They just want to come in and just throw their stuff on your desk. One day, this dude just told me some stuff blew my mind. I was like, oh, wow. I didn't know that was real life stuff. That sounds like a movie. He's getting ready to leave. I said, do you feel better? He said, absolutely. I said, good, because I feel like death right now. Like, that's what Jesus went through. Literally, we just throw our stuff on him and return. He gives us who he is. And so the moment you're saved, God sees you as holy. He sees you as sinless. He sees you as perfect. He sees you as righteous. The moment, that's why you can praise him. That's why you can pray to him because he sees you as holy enough to enter into his presence. That's positional holiness. That's regeneration. That's being born again. That every single person who says yes to Jesus is born again and they're made holy in God's eyes. But there's also practical holiness. Everybody say practical. So positional is God's work inside of you. That means God does the work. He, he changes you. He transforms you. He transfers your stuff out, his stuff in. Practical holiness is when you start to bring what God did on the inside to the outside. That you work out your salvation from your spirit or soul into your behavior, into your actions, into your speech, into your relationships, into your decisions, into every area of your life. Practical holiness is your job. So positional holiness is God's job. Practical holiness is our job. The Bible calls it sanctification. Meaning I should continually look more and more and more and more like Jesus the older I get. The more I walk with Jesus, the more I should sound like Jesus. The more I walk with Jesus, the more I should act like Jesus. The more I, I'm around Jesus, the more I should make decisions like Jesus. The more, what I'm doing is I'm becoming more and more separated from the world and separated to him. That's practical holiness. And most of us don't like the practical side because it means we have to give up some things in order to get some things. I give up one way of life to get a whole brand new way of life. What happens is many times, depending on which church background you have, we'll switch these two. We, we think that practical holiness starts first, that if you work really hard, if you wear denim skirts and white sketchers, if you wear your hair in a bun, if you don't go to this movie or that movie, then God will see you as holy. 
If you do this well enough, then maybe, just maybe, God will look at you as holy. That is opposite of what the gospel is. Even if you look at the Old Testament, when did God give the law to the Hebrews? He delivered them and redeemed them and ransomed them and brought them out of bondage into the wilderness, and then he gave them the law. Same thing with us. He doesn't give us the command to be holy before. He gives it after. He's saying it's a response to me making you holy. Start acting like it. It's a major change of theology for some of you. Coming from from traditional denominations or coming from from very legalistic mindsets, you think, well, I got to do this, I got to do that, because I need God to love me. No, no, God loves you enough to save you. He gave his son for you. He redeemed you. He transformed you. He made you new on the inside. Now he says the proper form of worship is to start acting like the new you he created you to be. That is practical holiness. It's the fruit of a transformed soul. See, a transformed soul should create a transformed life. And that's what we're talking about today. And this scripture kind of gives us four ways to live pure and holy lives. And I believe it's vitally important this day and age for this reason. There's two purposes to living a pure life or a life of character. One is this. That there's a world that is looking at us to see if we're different than the world. See, God, God sees the inside, but man sees the outside. And people are looking to see if our message is actually the same as our lifestyles. And if we had to judge it, right now the church is not doing a very good job. And so if God is going to reach your friends, your family members, the people that are prodigals that are far away from God because of the hypocrisy, they need to see people that actually live out their faith through their conduct and live as holy as they possibly can. The second reason that I believe we should live holy lives is for for God's greater glory. Like the more I live like him, the more I love like him, the more I act like him, the greater glory he has here on earth earth and my life exists for his honor and his glory and he gives us four quick reasons in this scripture number one is this if you're going to live a pure life here is tools to help you number one is this think right live right think right live right he says prepare your minds for action or be sober minded meaning change the way you think if you're going to live right you have to think right you can't think wrong and live right it's impossible. You, you can't think wrong thoughts. You can't think wrong ways and live correctly. You can say it another way. If you think holy, you will live holy. If you think holy thoughts, if you think in holy ways, then you're more than likely to live a holy way. But our minds are so full of trash. I've gotten off social media and my life is a thousand times better. I don't have the trash polluting my mind and filling my mind with jealousy or discontentment or confusion or worry or politics or stupid news. Like my mind is free, so it gives me time to start thinking the right thoughts. Proverbs 23 says, as a man thinketh, so is he. So how could I ever become who God has called me to be when I'm thinking just like the world is thinking? 
Like it's pivotal that whatever you think about the most in your mind will be your life in three to five years. If all you think about is lustful things and lustful ideas, I promise you, your marriage is heading for disaster. If all you think about is what you're going to buy next and what you're going to buy next and what you're going to use your stimulus money for, I promise you, you're going to be greedy, you're going to be in debt, you're going to be broke in three to five years. And actually, as soon as they give you the stimulus money, it's, no worth, it's not worth any more value because we just inflated the entire economy as it is. So go buy gold or whatever they're telling you to buy. I should have said that. Don't go buy gold. I'm not, I'm not pushing gold. But whatever you think about the most will be producing. If you think fearful thoughts, you will watch your fearful thoughts be produced in your life. It's just a matter of principle. As a man thinketh, so is he. And one of the problems with holiness is we had a great evangelism movement in the 18, 1900s. And out of that movement came amazing salvations and soul winning, some really, really good stuff. But one of the things that came out of it was the theology of, well, brother, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. Oh, you know, I'm just, and so what, that really, what somebody really saying when they say, well, brother, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace, what they're really saying is, I'm saved, but I haven't changed. Right. So I had a guy tell me that one day, he said, well, brother, I'm just, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. I said, wrong. You were a sinner transformed by grace. See, until we get this really junky theology out of our minds, you're going to keep on living your life as I'm just a sinner. I'm going to mess up. Some of the things we hear in, in our culture is, well, no, nobody's perfect. We all mess up. No perfect people allowed. You know, none of us can. There's no condemnation in Christ. We've all fallen short of the glory. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. That's why we need Jesus. After Jesus, he says, go and sin no more. He says, be holy as I am holy. Until we get us mind, you are not an old sinner saved by grace. You are a royal priesthood. You are a priest of the Most High God. You have been transformed, renewed, regenerated, sanctified. You've made holy in his eyes. Do not lower your identity to that of your past. The way, the way this old guy explained it to me one time, he said, you know, like our daughters had lead out last night, which I still don't know what lead out is. I just know it cost us a whole lot of money. <laughs> so our daughters are dressed up. They look great. RJ, we try to get him some clothes to wear. He's growing so fast. He outgrows his clothes like every week. So Toy gets some, some pants. Like, I think I got in the right size. He puts them on. They come to his knees. So literally, he's wearing my pants. I'm just a little bit more round than him. So he's like cinching his pants up. So we go, and you see all these kids dressed up nicely. Nice dresses, nice tuxedos, nice suits. You know, we're there. So think about it like this. If they're dressed up, they spend a ton of money on their hair and makeup and dresses and clothes and tuxedos, all that stuff. Say they're at their house, and right before they leave, their dog gets out of the house, and the dog runs into the field next door. That's a cow field. But they have to get the dog because mom and dad will get mad if they don't get the dog. So when they go to get the dog, they have to walk through this muddy field. Do you think they're going to walk through it with their dress clothes on? No. Most people, they'll put on their denim overalls, put on their car hearts. And when you walk through a field in your car hearts and your work boots, most people don't watch where they step. They just walk through the mud. They walk through cow patties. They walk through the whole nine. They go riding on the floor. They get muddy. When they come back, what do they do? They just wash it off. 
But if one of these kids was to walk through there from last night in his tuxedo and his patent leather shoes, his hair done, if he had to walk through that field, I promise you, he would watch where he steps. He's walking around mud puddles. He's walking around cow patties. He's walking around water. He's walking around things to get to where he needs to get. See, when you think you're a sinner saved by grace, you live your life like you're wearing denim overalls. And you'll walk straight through situations and circumstances. You walk straight through the mud piles of life. You walk straight through the puddles of life because you have this thought, God loves me. When I get back home, he'll just wash me off. And in doing so, when you think about that washing, it's not water, but the precious blood of Jesus. Why would you want to waste his blood over and over and over again. But if I see myself as not an old sinner saved by grace, but I'm holy in his eyes. He's transformed. He's made me whiter than snow. He's cleansed me from the inside out. When I walk through those mud piles of life, I walk around them. When I see temptation on YouTube or on the internet, I walk around it. When I see temptation at the workplace or on social media, somebody sends you a direct message you know you should not respond to, you walk around Around it. See, the problem in church world, in order to be holy, we have to think holy in order to live holy. And you are holy. Touch yourself, say, I am holy. You are not an old sinner saved by grace. God's grace transformed you from one kingdom to the other. But number two, if you're going to learn to live a pure and holy life, you have to learn to exercise self control through accountability. You have to learn to exercise self-control. Being sober-minded, self-control, it says in the, in the NLT version. But that only comes through accountability because if we had enough self-control, we wouldn't be in the situations we'd be in anyway. And so you need help to develop your self-control because most of us are not disciplined enough to fight off the enemy by ourselves. Most of us are not strong enough to maintain our integrity by ourselves. Most of us are not strong enough to maintain our character by ourselves. It says this in Proverbs. Proverbs 25, verse 28. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. I mean, if you don't have self-control, it means the gates of your life, the gates of your mind, the gates of your marriage, the gates of your finances, the gates of your family, the gates of your, your sexuality, the gates of your temptation, they're wide open and the enemy can come and go as he pleases. That's why as believers, we need to build our walls back up and guard our gates. Great book written on Nehemiah 4. Build your walls back up. Your walls are your boundaries, your accountability, your values, your thought life. You need boundaries in your life. If you're going to live holy, you need holy boundaries. You need people to help you rebuild the walls of your life. If you just got saved, you need it more than anybody else. You need people to come alongside of you and help you build proper boundaries. But not just building the walls up. You need people to help guard the gates of your life. Because there has to be in and out into your mind, into your heart, into your life. And you need people to watch the gates for you. For some of you, that could be sexual sin. For some, it could be financial sin. For some of you, it could be greed. For some of you, it could be jealousy. For some, it could be anxiety. For some, it could be stress. But there are gates that you give people access to that as they watch the gates, they protect your blind side as you're trying to live the life God has called you to live. Because without accountability, there is actually no growth spiritually. 
In life, without accountability, there's no growth. You can only work out so much until you need a spotter. Once you get a spotter, it helps you lift more weight to get stronger quicker. We all need accountability. The problem with holiness, we've had a lot of people that try to, to maintain or produce holiness through accountability that didn't have a relationship. And so accountability without a relationship is legalism. Meaning if I don't have a relationship with you, I can't hold you accountable for what God is telling you to do. I can preach it, but that comes off as legalistic. But if I have a relationship with you, I can sit across the table from you with a cup of coffee and tell you, this is not who God has called you to be. You've left this gate wide open. And if you trust me, I'll help you watch it. Like my life, and Toy can tell you this, my life is so much accountability, it's not even funny. Like, I have so much accountability over everything. Even with the elders, some of the elders have access to my calendar, my phone, all my social media, everything. Have other friends have access to everything, even finances. Toy has access to all my social media, and she will pick up my phone from time to time and go through my phone and say, who is this? I'm like, I don't know. It's probably somebody from church. No, she's She's shady. She's like, you need to unfriend her. I'm like, I ain't unfriend. That's, that's not very Christ-like. So then she gives me the look, and I know I'm more scared of her than I am the judgment of God. But it's accountability. Meaning, one, it gives me a boundary that I'm probably not going to cross. But two, if somebody was to cross it, I know she'll catch them, and she'll cut them as quickly as she possibly can. Two, with the church. Like our church, we have local elders who are governing elders in our church. We have apostolic overseers. We were just talking Wednesday night about adding more accountability to our church. Why? The more accountability, the more growth. The more accountability, the more protection. Some of you heard guys say, man, I ain't letting my old lady check my phone. Why? One, if you call an old lady, she should divorce you anyway because that's stupid. (laughs) Two, if you have nothing to hide, why would you care? See, we live in a day and age where people will throw away their marriage for literally a social media relationship. And the only reason why is because the enemy is allowing social media to be a quick, easy access to our minds, our hearts, and our spirits. And if you have no accountability on it, it's only a matter of time for the enemy uses it to tempt you to take away your, your morality, your character, and your holiness. And for some of you, it could be your relationship with your wife or your husband. Some of you, it could be with your kids. You need accountability in every single layer of your life because without it, there's open gates. Number three, develop a healthy fear of God by remembering no action, no deed, nothing goes unseen. So these things are to help you produce a pure way of living a holy life. And so this one, developing a healthy, holy Fear of the Lord. Why? Because I'm going to remember that nothing I say, nothing I do, nothing I think about, nothing goes unseen by him. Listen, no matter what people tell you, the Holy Spirit is still omnipresent. You know what that means? He's at every place, at every time, all the time. Just because you go somewhere that you don't think God would go doesn't mean his spirit hasn't gone with you. David said, I go to Sheol and you're still there with me. See, we think if I get outside of church, God's not looking. Guess what? He's still looking. 
And we talk about holy fear. Like literally fear is mentioned in the Bible in regards to God more than 300 times. 300 times about the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of strength. The fear of the Lord produces righteousness. The fear of the, all these, the fear of the Lord is a healthy thing. But there's three forms of fear. There's a holy fear where you, you're amazed at the power and the majesty and the wonder of God that at any moment you know he's more powerful than you, you know he's more holy than you. And it produces this reverence and this awe of just who he is. And if we're honest, that's what's missing the most in our Christian walk in our churches today. God has become so familiar. He's a friend, but not a king. He's become so familiar. He's a healing, teaching Messiah, but he's not a holy warrior anymore. We need to get back to this reverence that God is God and we are not. And only then will we realize all the other areas we have access to of God. So you have a holy fear, then you have a healthy fear. Healthy fear is something you're afraid of, but it protects you from harm. Like snakes. I am deathly afraid of snakes, which I think is a spiritual gift to protect me (laughs) from the enemy. I mean, the Bible defines Satan as a what? Serpent. So why would I have one as a pet? Like, and I've always been scared of snakes. RJ, like two years ago, they found a, a snake on a sticky trap. He put it on my book bag in my office and set his phone up trying to record me so when I found it, I'd be scared to death. Like, I live life in this constant fear that RJ's going to put a snake in my bed. <laughs> so for some of you, it may be a fear of heights that prevents you from, from going up to high places. and fall. So there's a healthy fear. But there is also an unhealthy fear. Unhealthy fears where you're afraid of something and it prevents you from being who God has called you to be. Unhealthy fear is what Paul was addressing Timothy. He said, I've not given you a spirit of fear, but a power, control, and a strong mind. See, unhealthy fear prevents you from becoming who God wants you to be or what God has called you to do. And what has happened is these pendulums swing in church world where you swung from this pendulum of you need to fear God because he will strike you at any moment. It created an unhealthy fear. Well, now God is this tyrant rather than a father. Something that should be holy and should be healthy, man has manipulated and perverted to be something unhealthy. God doesn't want you to serve him out of fear. He wants, to, he wants you to fear him out of love. This amazing love. God, I don't want to disappoint you. God, I don't want to break your heart. God, I don't want to take your son back through the process of crucifixion. God, I love you so much. I'm in awe of your love and your grace. That is a healthy fear. Just like with your kids. You want your kids to be afraid of you just a little bit. So they don't want to do something stupid, but you don't want them to run away from you. You want them to at least come back if they do because they need to eat at some point. So with your kids, it's the same way. You produce discipline and respect in order to redeem this reverence or respect for mother and father. In the same way, God will use discipline. He'll use respect. He's trying to draw us into this holy reverence of God. Because regardless of what we think, regardless of what culture tells us, there is two things God's going to do at the end of time. That God in the scripture calls him a judge. He's still a judge. At the end of time, he's going to judge every single human being. And there's two judgments. Everybody say two judgments. There's two. There's one for unbelievers. 
And it says this, that's the great white throne of judgment. So the great white throne of judgment, at the end of times, whenever Jesus comes back, sets up his reign on earth, there's going to be a judgment for all unbelievers. And the only question is going to be this, what did you do with Jesus? And they're going to look through the book of life, and when their name's not in that book of life, then they are sent to hell where they chose to dwell and live for all of eternity. There's a second judgment that is just for believers. It's called the great white throne of judgment or the, the mercy seat or judgment seat of Christ. So that is one where every single word of believers is believers only. So after the great white throne of judgment, we'll see the judgment seat of Christ. Then we are accountable to every action, deed, and word ever spoken. 2 Corinthians 5, 10 says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Meaning you'll be rewarded for the good things that you've done, but that bad things you'll be, be taken away into the pit of fire. You'll be in heaven, but you'll be rewarded on the good things you've done. My thing is, I think the brokenness is going to happen is when you stand there and realize the price that was paid for all the bad actions you've done. When you have to look at Jesus face to face and see the price that was paid for your holiness and realize you treated it with vanity. He also says, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, we'll give account for every single word we've spoken. Meaning every idle word, every cuss word, every bad word, every word I've ever spoken about the Tennessee volunteers, every word at some point will be given account for. So one person said it this way, as we fear God more completely, we'll love him more perfectly. And perfect love casteth out all fear. I'm gonna read that again. As we fear God more completely, we'll love him more perfectly. And perfect love casteth out all fear. And number four, instead of focusing on yourself, focus on Jesus by standing in awe of his love, mercy, and grace. This whole end of this couple of verses, he just starts pointing to Jesus. Peter says, just look at Jesus and the price he's paid for you, the ransom he's paid. This unblemished lamb, the blood he's poured out. Just pay. So Peter is really taking this scripture and he's saying, be holy as I am holy. Right. But he doesn't say, look at yourself, look at your ability, look at your mistakes, look at your failures, look at what you can do, look what you cannot do. He doesn't start saying, look at yourself. Look at how bad you've been. That, that's man. Man does that. When they try to say, you need to be holy, they start saying, look how bad you are. Look how miserable you are. Look at this. No, no. Peter says, no, no. Don't look at yourself. Look at the beauty of Jesus. Look at the grace of Jesus. Look at the price that was paid for your salvation. Look at what he gave up for you to be a child of God. Look what he has done. Look at what he has poured out. Look at the hefty price. See, your salvation is free to you, but it's extremely costly to Jesus. And what you do with salvation shows God how much you value the blood of Jesus. If you live your life haphazardly, it means you think the blood... It's just water down the river. But if you live your life in holiness, you realize your price for your salvation, for your life was richer than any gold, any platinum, any silver, any diamonds. And as you look at Jesus, as you look at the price for your salvation, as you look at the love manifest, 
a love so deep, a love so unconditional, a love so amazing that it stopped at nothing to save us. My motivation for holiness is not a fear. My motivation for holiness is by looking at the love of Jesus. Like, it's almost impossible to look at Jesus upon the cross and you see him upon the cross. You see the pain. You see the frustration. You see for the first time he experiences sin. You see the blood being poured out of his body onto Calvary. And you see him say things on the cross like, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. I love so deep that even while we were sinners, even when we were in our deepest, darkest moment, even when we were running away from God, in that moment, he was still willing to go to the cross for us. See, our motivation for holiness is not self-performance or self-effort. The only proper response to grace is obedience. And as I see the grace of God, it says, God, whatever you want, you can have. You want my hands, you can have them. You want my eyes, you can have them. You want my mind, you can have them. You want my life, you can have them. You want my marriage, you can have them. God, I just want to honor you with this life you've given me. Because he gave me this new life. And for you, he has given you a new life. The question is this. How are you going to value the life he gave you? If you would, I just want you to bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I believe God is moving, not just in, in the church, but across the world, I believe God is moving to redeem a spirit of the fear of the Lord. I think in the next season of church world, he's going to bring a, a move of holiness like we've never seen before. Whether through persecution whether through salvation, whether through an outpouring of his spirit, but he's going to believe it, bring a move of holiness. He wants his people to reflect his image on the earth. He wants his people to live lives that align with his character. He wants his sons and daughters to look just like their father. He wants his children to reflect and carry the same character that he has. He wants them to carry that here on earth. He does his part. He regenerates us. He makes us holy. Then it's our job to begin walking that out and living it out. And these four things will help you do that. But I'm going to ask two questions real quick. One, if you're in this room, maybe you're not positionally holy. Maybe you've never been regenerated. You, you've never gave God your old life so he could give you a new life. You've never made that great exchange with Jesus where you gave him your sin, you gave him your lust, you gave him your temptation, you gave him your evil, you gave him your shame, you gave him your sorrows, you gave him everything in you that was sinful and away from God. You give that to him so he can give you everything he has. His beauty, his perfection, his holiness, his righteousness. What it takes to receive that is to repent from your old life, to turn from that and turn towards Christ. And in doing that, he helps you become born again. And he gives you a new father with a new DNA. And God begins to look at you as holy, unblemished, perfect. Just as he sees Jesus, he begins to see you. Maybe that's you. Maybe you've been carrying around all this junk, 
because you've yet to hand it over to Jesus. You know what? The Holy Spirit is speaking to me today. Holy Spirit is speaking to me and saying, today's my day to stop living an old life in an old kingdom and to give God that life so you can give me a new life. If that's you, every head is bowed, every eye is closed. I'm not going to have you come forward. But if that's you, I just want you to slip your hand up right where you are. Say, that's me. God is talking to me today. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Anybody else? I'll pray for you in just a second. When I pray for you after service, you do me a favor. If you raise your hand, when you leave, you go by the connection point area, just let them know, hey, I raised my hand for pastor. Let them get you a gift so we can help you kind of on this journey. Second question is this. As I've been talking about character still matters in holiness, maybe God has been pointing things out in your life that don't line up with the faith you claim. Maybe you start realizing, maybe I'm a hypocrite in some areas of my life. Maybe I I claim one thing, but I live another way. Or maybe there's some areas of my life that I need to close some gates in. I need to have somebody watch guard over these gates. I'm not going to have you come forward. This is between you and God. But if God is speaking to you, the proper thing to do when God speaks is to respond to let him know, God, you're talking to me. So if that's you, every head is bowed, every eye is closed. That's you said, God, I realize that's for me. I just want you to slip your hand up real quick. Thank you. All in the room, thank you. You put your hands up. Father, in Jesus' name. Father, those who raise their hands, Father, saying, God, I need you. Father, as they repent from one direction and turn towards you, Father, I pray that you produce in them a new life. Their old life is considered a seed that they've planted in the ground, dying to their old ways so you can give them a new way of life. I pray that you produce holiness in them. Life, hope, joy, peace, and love. Give them self-control. Give them strength. Give them power through your Holy Spirit. Father, let them know they're washed in the blood of Jesus. Father, help them to confess their sins, to walk in freedom, to walk in strength, and give them everything they need to walk out this journey with you. Father, those who raise their hands for the second question. Father, I pray as they begin to recognize areas of our life that are lacking the character of being a child of the Most High God. Father, I pray for a spirit of repentance. Father, I pray that you give them the strength they need to start thinking correctly about who they are. Father, I pray that you give them people that can hold them accountable and watch the gates of their lives to prevent the enemy from sneaking back in. Father, I pray that you help them have a holy, healthy fear of you. And above all, Father, help them to focus on the amazing price that Jesus paid for our salvation. Father, and as they do, I pray that you begin a movement, a revival of holiness to get your bride ready for your return. In Jesus' name, amen.